Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. By the time this episode drops, uh, we recorded this on the 22nd of March, Sunday, with Charles Cazzo. He is over in France in lockdown, and I am here in Ketchum, Idaho, in lockdown. And, and by lockdown on this end, I mean, you know, we can go outside and stuff, but, you know, basically everything is closed and they don't, you know, we have to respect social distancing and you know, we can go get food and stuff. So it's not totally extreme, but I wanted to tap in with Charles because uh, they can't fly currently right now in France and Belgium and Italy and other places. And there's certainly a very interesting conversation going on here about that. And uh, by the time we put out the show, I will have put out the show that I did with my sister and my good friend Terry O'Connor, who's an ER doctor here, uh, two people are really on the front lines of all of this. And so I think we'll have probably will not be flying here either. It doesn't sound like that's a smart thing to do. And potentially if you had an accident and overwhelm an already overwhelmed system. But anyway, I want to apologize that uh, we probably didn't sound very current in terms of where the world most likely stands now, several weeks later. So, but this episode is with Charles Cazzo. Uh He's been flying for more than 25 years. He was the first kind of junior uh they have a junior training professional training uh program in france that you can come up through to become a professional pilot and be uh, paid and coached in that process and so this is something that's pretty foreign for most other pilots in the world but a very cool program that people like charles and uh, Maxime Pinot and others have come up through honor and have come up through. So he was the first uh, with this. He got on the team in 1995 when he was 18 years old and then made the French team in 2000. He's been on it ever since. So almost 20 years with the French team. So I wanted to just talk to him about what they're teaching and what he's learned over the years and how to fly faster in comps and strategy and tactics and all that kind of stuff and mental uh, the, the mental side of the sport, which is, of course, huge. And then also we talked quite a bit about uh, what he and Seiko have been teaching at their school the last three years and SIV and specifically SIV on two liners and, and pretty hot wings. So great talk. It was great to uh, speak with Charles again. I hadn't flown with him in a while and or talked to him in a while. So uh, enjoy. Charles, awesome to have you on the Mayhem. I've been wanting to talk to you a long time. I was trying to think about it this morning uh, when the last time we saw each other was. I know we flew together in Chelan a few years back. I feel like I've seen you since then, but uh, as always, it's it's always too long. But thanks for thanks for coming on the show. I understand, like I do right now, you have a lot of time in this time of Corona. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Gavin, to to bring me to the show. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time we met maybe was in Colombia for a competition there. Ah, and, uh, that's right. And right, we have quite a lot of time uh, actually at home with the corona issue. And I'm not one of the guy working because the office closed. So ah. now we are waiting the stuff going on and give uh, all our energy to the people who are in front fighting with the this virus. Yeah, it's a, it is really an unprecedented time. I just did a podcast last night with my sister. We, you know, she's not a pilot, but 
She's uh, the health and science reporter for KQED, which is our kind of NPR station out in San Francisco. And so she's been on the front lines reporting on this really since it came across from China because it first came to San Francisco from China. And uh, it's just, man, it's it just incredible watching the numbers and the escalation of this. And then, of course, you know, you guys were the first to get shut down, I believe, right? You know, France, Belgium, Italy. You know, they yeah, shut down Italy, flying. Uh, it, it was in the worst. It was the first. It was. It started quite badly before the super final, actually, and uh, so it's why nobody decided to go to to Brazil. And now it's quite bad in Italy, and uh, we know it will happen to France and the other country from uh, Europe, and then the rest of the world. So we just uh, try to understand what's going on and uh, to be ready, and to face it, and uh, and then to to go ahead. Yeah, and and what is your work? Uh, actually, I'm working in a mobile phone company, Orange, mm-hmm. and uh, I have this deal with the ministry and the company, so they allow me to to train and comp uh, half of the year. So I'm mainly like autumn and winter in the office, and spring and summer I can uh, compete, training, train and uh, teach with Seiko in our school. It, this is a great place to start. So I can't remember who it was that I spoke to about this. When you're on the French team, uh, you're you can you can kind of you you can get paid to fly correct you can work for orange and then have a they they have a they have a system where you're allowed to fly for is that a certain amount of time or something how's that work yeah we we have a system if you are in uh, some of the big company like the uh, train station or like mine orange uh, in fact the, the company they uh, earn some taxes on the time you are not at work so it's good for the company and it's good for the so athletes and mm. it's quite helpful then to especially for paragliding pilots it's quite helpful to to have time to get the money and uh, to go to competition and train for sure you need to find the sponsor to support your uh, your budget for competition but uh, you know when you you go to a competition you don't need to focus and say oh it's good weather maybe if i'm i'm at work i can make some tandem but it's not the case. I know uh, when I'm in competition, I can focus on competition. And uh, the only fact is uh, you have to stay in the top 12 FI ranking. So <laughs> it's a bit of pressure. Ah, okay. So how many how many French pilots right now are in your kind of in your situation where they can they can work and fly but be supported to fly? So in the in the big company, I think I'm I'm the last one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some other, like Honorin in Ozone, uh, Pierre-Emy in Nervure, they have a little support from the local uh, government for it. So they don't have the same amount of time as me, but they still have some weeks to, to do it, which is uh, quite nice. And uh, I think the other one, they are students, so they don't, have, they are, they don't get the same support. Mm-hmm. So for sure, for if you are in, in the top level ranking and you have a big company, uh, yeah, it's quite uh, helpful. To is it, make a long career. Is it all decided on ranking? Yeah, yes, because uh, in fact, the mystery, f- uh, the spot on the, at the first October, if you're in the top 12, then you can apply for it. If you are 13, you cannot. <laughs> wow, that is that is pretty tight. So take yeah. me to the, I under, as I understand, you were the first person in kind of the this juniors program, which has now become a thing. You know, Maxime came up through it, Maxime Pinot. Uh, who did really well in the X-Alps last time and obviously another really good uh, competition pilot, I think Honorin did. But uh, what what is it and how, and 
can you yeah, can you explain you know because this is something completely foreign I think to most other countries. Yeah, this project started in uh, as I remember it was ninety five, and I was uh, one of the seven uh, ch- children to enter this uh, this system, and it's uh, based in Font-Romeu. Font-Romeu is quite well known in France because it was the area to prepare the athletes for the Olympic Games in Mexico. And it's on a high level plateau, 1,500 meters. So it's good to, uh, to get uh, some like oxygen to be prepared for long racing. Mm. So it's why they, they organized this, this school there. So you have like, I don't know, 10 or 20 different sports coming uh, here to, to train. You have athletes from all Europe coming on certain time of the, uh, of the year to train. And they decide to make this pool of, uh, of training for the pilot of pilot there. So actually, you have some kids from uh, children. Yeah, some kids were like from 13 to 18. On the year they start, I was uh, 18. So it was like uh, I enter only for one year. I, I knew it when I enter. But it was really a great year because we have uh, some coach like Didier Ziga, which was a French pilot years ago, and uh, some other coach around. And we learn a lot because when I enter this school, you know, I never did a fly bigger than maybe 15K. And uh, when I exit from the school, I went back to Saint-Hilaire, which was uh, close to my own place. On the next spring, I was able to fly 150, 160 for my first cross country in the Alps. So it was really interesting uh, the way they learn us. Just, you know, you mainly learn about the process. And uh, then when you have the condition and you're ready, you just go. Tell me more about the process. So we learn, I would say, step by step. First, uh, like handling on the ground to be uh, on full control uh, of our wing. Then we did some SIV because the idea was to not to let us fly as far as possible, but first to be in control of our gear and to be in control of our skill, to be uh, more and more skilled. And then we we went step by step. So I would say we we relearned to to climb, so in dynamic or in a thermal activity, to be more efficient in thermal, to be more aware about our sensation. And then step slowly and slowly we go from thermal to another thermal. And uh, after each flight, we have like debriefing for, for sometime during one hour. We are briefing before the flight. Everything was uh, organized so we can understand what we do in the air to make uh, it better for the next flight. And uh, then I keep this process for myself when uh, I came back uh, in the Alps after the school. And uh, I just uh, add some more experience, some more skills, some more knowledge to to be uh, better and better, I say. Yeah, to improve. Progress. Did did you? Is the goal of the school? So when you get into this program and you're identified, do you do you actually? I should ask that. Do you sign up for this school or are you picked? I would say I sign up to for the school because I really want to to go there. But uh, there is a selection, so I, I think we were like twenty or thirty, and we we were only seven place the first mm. year. Mm. So they don't make a selection only based on the level of the pilot. They they were also, I would say, first aware about the um, the school level because they don't want uh, people to be focused too much on piloting. They want uh, uh, us to um, to have a good level of school so we can have free time for, to fly. And um, they know some some pilots who are in the Alps, maybe with their parents already flying. 
they have some kind of advantage. And I was coming from the flat. Uh, I was alone to fly. Nobody in my family was flying. So maybe we will say, okay, maybe this guy, we can help a little bit if we put him in the system. And uh, from my uh, past experience, I was uh, I was climbing, I was running, I, make, I was making uh, football, you know, a lot of activity. And I was always trying to go ahead and to push forward my uh, my skills. So I think they feel it when they ask the question and they say, oh, maybe this guy has some potential to 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 improve a lot. And uh, the idea was not to push us to the competition. I, I know uh, when I started paragliding, I didn't want to go to competition. Competition finally just become a, a tool to progress, to know some more area, to, to learn from different pilots. But I didn't want to go to competition team. I want to go to cross country. Ah, so when you sign up for the program, it's not it, the the goal of the program isn't to create necessarily race pilots. It's just to create good pilots. Yeah, the first year it was more about uh, yeah creating good pilot, and then the level uh, year after year improve. And I will say, when they have to make the selection selection, then they they select quite a good level of pilot. And this pilot, after three years in this school. They have the World Cup, le- World Cup level pilot, which was crazy because like you have some uh, teenager. They came, maybe the biggest fly they did was 30k, and they learn year after year to uh, to improve the skills, to learn about the air mass, to uh, learn about the tactics. And after three years, they are they are able to be in the top uh, top 20 of some task in World Cup. So this was very interesting, and uh, they did quite a good job. Yeah. When I spoke with Maxime a couple months ago about his books, and I, I understand he's done some some coaching for the French team as well, he talked about kind of these four categories uh, that you have to focus on for learning and becoming a good pilot. You know, there's the technical side, climbing, gliding. Uh, there's the tactical side, you know, your decision making, and then there's the the mental side is what is the big one i forget what the fourth one is now but the 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 mental one was the one that he said was just by far and away you know that with the ten, at the high levels you know the super final levels you know pretty much everybody's a pretty good climber and a pretty good glider and pretty much tactics are you know quite similar you know stay in, in the lead gaggle until the end try to make a break you know there's not there's not a huge difference there the huge difference is really in the mental is that is that something that the school you went to really focused on as well? Yeah, for sure. We, I think I was, we learned more about mental uh, when I, I leave the school, then uh, I have the chance to enter the, the French team. And then we, we get some input about the, the mental and how it will be, um, how it will, it will uh, change our performance. Because as you say, in uh, like the level of the top pilots, if we were getting the skills, yeah, everybody is able to push uh, full speed. Everybody can uh, climb good. Then you have some pilot climbing more or less. And uh, now I would say the difference is more about uh, how you see the air mass and uh, also from the mental uh, view, wh- how you are able to do the right thing at the right moment. Mm. And because ev- most of us, we know what to do. But to do it at the right moment, to have the right trimming during all the tasks or the competition is quite, which is uh, quite uh, demanding and not so easy. Uh, even me, some competition I'm really in, and some I will not so so or completely out. 
and uh, yeah, this is the hard part of paragliding, mental part. What do you what do you attribute that to? You know, all these years of competing. Well, let me ask you the other question first. You, so you started the school in '95. When what was the first year you made the French team? I entered the French team in 2000. Wow! Uh, I did uh, yeah, I did uh, two World Cup in it was '98. It was uh, Musi and Chamonix. And uh, in twenty yeah, in twenty two thousand, I entered the French team uh, until now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I see. You've like, been on the uh, French team every year since nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, exactly. Holy moly! Uh, in, in the French team, we had like a pool of twenty. I would say twenty thirty pilots at the beginning, and then it. Uh, and now we are like uh, maybe less than ten, because. Uh, yeah, the thing change and the budgets change and uh, the the way it's organized a little bit different. And uh, yeah, it's in 20 years, you can see like the wing changing, you can see the tactics changing, you can see uh, yeah everything because it was more demanding for the pilot to be uh, at the top level. I see, yeah, the wing was a really big change when the two-liner arrived. Yeah. And, uh, and then... I think the big change after the trainer is that most of the pilots, they were able to have a, a really good wing. And uh, then the tactics become more and more important on the, in the competition. So you, you mentioned something that I think a lot of pilots, including myself, really struggle with. There are times when you're just in it. And I, I call that kind of being in the flow. And then there's times where you're just not. Have you been able to isolate and drill down on that and figure out better ways to be in it? Uh, I would say, yeah, you see some moment or some part of the task, you say, ah, I'm not in. And then you try to understand what's going on with your mind. And uh, most of the time when you want to to make the results uh, too fast and you don't have the process to, to focus on what you have to do uh, at a certain moment of the task, like, uh, I don't know, you are turning, you have to be focused on your feeding, and uh, uh, like each turn of the turmoil, I know I have to focus uh, on one, uh, on the meteo, or on the pilot around me, and if you are too focused, oh, I will miss uh, the goggle, uh, I will miss the result, you know? If you are too focused on, uh, on the results part, then for sure everything you, you trained for before, and uh, you organize to make a good um, a good uh, performance, then it starts to be destroyed because your mind is not uh, in the action; it's too far away. <laughs> <laughs> are there are there things that you've learned over the years? You know, say mantras or something you're writing on your instruments, or are, are there are there clues that you can you've been able to grasp onto and resolve that? You know, in flight, they're thinking, hey, Charles, come back or Charles, let your, you know, you're thinking too much. I got to let my subconscious do more work. Are there are there things that you've kind of learned or codified to help? That? Uh, I work with um, Thomas Toria, which mm. is a mental coach of uh, several pilots, including uh, uh, Kriegel. And uh, yeah, the last year, two years I was um, working with him. And uh, I was flying with a fly now, writing on my uh, instrument. And uh, just remember, okay, you are in the air. You have to be focused on what you do now and be efficient now. Uh, no, just to to be in the in the game. 
not uh, uh, already at the goal <laughs> ah. or, or thinking what will be the consequences of my results. For example, for my, for my uh, deal with the mystery, with my company, with the result at the end of the year, just, uh, okay, you are in the race. You are at this moment of the task. You are in this situation. What you have to do to be efficient now and focus on it, nothing else. Can you, what, what, was, what was the main thing you went to Thomas for and what, what advice did he give to, to you to solve that? The, the main thing for me was really the, the pressure. Uh, I have to deal with, um, with, the, um, say, with the pipelining involved in, uh, in my job as a, with the deal in, my, in the company. So, so in some year, it was uh, really complicated to, to, to deal with because you, you have like three good results. You know, you have uh, to make one comp a very good result. And uh, even you don't, you are not, uh, or you are not on the flying area. You are not in the task. You already, your mind is not there. So yeah, it helped me to, to refocus really on the highlighting uh, side when I'm in competition and uh, to relax from this uh, contract with my company. Because on one way, it's a really good, uh, yeah, it's a nice deal I have. But it cannot work if I'm not focused on competition. I have, I have to be able to go to, go to competition, to keep my pleasure to fly, and uh, yeah, to enjoy the process to, to compete. And not to do only this for, I would say, for my deal with the company. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very special place. I would say I I don't know if some there is not so many pilots. I think who have this uh, no. kind of deal, and uh, on one way it's super nice deal. On another way, yeah, it can give a little bit stress. But uh, no, I think I have the deal with for ten years, so I learned to to live with it. It's uh, I would say privilege, so I have to to face it. No problem. <laughs> Do you, I, I would imagine that in some ways, you know, the, the silver lining of it, I mean, there's lots of silver linings there, but I would imagine one of the main silver linings of that kind of situation is it probably keeps you really motivated to fly. I mean, do you think you'd have the same motivation without it? Uh, in fact, I, I don't need the uh, motivation to, to fly because I love so much flying <clears throat> I just need to to go and fly. I know some. I have some friends who we go for competition, and when they go for a fly, they go they go to train for one two hours, and they don't like to stay at the same place during their flight. So okay, they make their two hours training, and they know they want to make a result in competition. But for me, if I spend like five hours in the same thermal, I, I don't care, because I just la- love to be in the air. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I come to piloting because I was coming from mountain, from climbing. I first uh, want to use piloting to go down. Then I realize I can climb and I can uh, move from one mountain to one one other mountain only with the piloter. And uh, I don't even if I don't, I, I'm not competing. I can go and make cross country for hours. Uh, I just love to fly. <laughs> Back to Thomas. How did he help you to relax and to distance yourself from the pressure? It was mainly uh, this work we did. Uh, we finding the words we uh, which are linked to some image or some feeling, which bring me uh, back to the the with the, the present, not with the future or the past, but really 
okay, I see this word in front of me. Uh, I know what this word means, the feeling linked to this word. And then I, I connect, I switch to uh, present mode, not to, to move my mind somewhere else. Yes. Hmm. Will you keep working with them or is that done? No, we are keep working. We are oh. keep working together. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what do you like most about flying? Is it the competitions? Is it the working with Seiko and instructing? Is it just flying? Uh, as I said, I love flying. <laughs> so uh, I was used to spend like four hours, four, 50, yeah, 400 hours in the year sometime. Oh, so that's yeah, a lot. When I, when I was student, it was like this, 400 years, 400 uh, hours in the year during the year. No, it's more, it's less. I think it's like 200 hours. And I feel now, uh, I say in the past, I needed to, to fly a lot. To to so to yeah, so different situation um, with the terrain with the air mass. I know I feel if I fly 150 200 hours, it's quite a lot in the year, and uh, I feel comfortable with this amount of hours. And uh, I'm more hungry when I go to competition because uh, if I fly too much, it starts to be kind of routine. But if I fly don't not so much, then I really want to be in the air. And for me, it's more efficient than for the comp. And uh, yeah, I like uh, to fly cross-country because I came from cross-country part before to go to competition. I like to discover, to take my own decision. I like to fly alone. <laughs> it's a bit egoist, but <laughs> it's uh, one part of the flight I like. And uh, also the side, we, we start with Seiko, with the school. Uh, I like a lot. I like to share uh, the knowledge with the, with the students. Who are coming? I start to give them uh, feedback, information, help them to to progress, uh, always to to keep the safety part in mind. And uh, I always say, you will be a good pilot if you are old pilot, you know. And uh, years after years, we all realize it's just true. Mm. And uh, I really push all pilots. So, what the, whatever the level they are, just go to SIV to train your skills. And they, they tell me, ah, but you know, I did it five years ago. Uh, I'm a good pilot. I say, I don't care. You just go, you show. And, uh, and then you come back, you know, it's like uh, you you send the, your car to the garage every year to <laughs> to check if everything working well. Yeah, and it's the same for the pilot. You have to go with your wing to, to, to learn, to improve your skills, and just to become better, you cannot just stay in your chair and say, okay, or you're honest, I'm a good pilot, I can, a good pilot, I can fly 100, I can fly 200K. Say, okay, you fly, you fly good, you understand what's going on in the air, but you have to be a pilot under your wing and uh, you have to know how you will react in every situation. You have to learn how your wing, the, your new wing is you will react as well. So I... Seiko is really the coach for the SIV and for me she's amazing because she, I think she's the only one who's a compilot in uh, cross country she was a compilot in acro she is test pilot uh, instructor uh, she has a really good overview of what's going on uh, with the wing and how the the pilot pilot they, they react and uh, for me it's really interesting I learned a lot, a lot from her on how she she trained, how she focused on the, on flying. It's really interesting. 
Yeah, I, mean, I think you guys really broke terrific ground with what you're doing there at the school and sharing these videos. Because I, I always think back to Russ Ogden uh, gave a terrific talk here in Sun Valley right after the World Cup in 2012. And he obviously knows a lot about wing design. And back then he was still recommending, which I know he's changed his mind on now, but he, you know, he was still recommending that it wasn't really a good idea to do SIV on, you know, on our comp wings, you know, so back there, back then open class wings and now serial class wings, but you know, that, you know, the hotter end of the scale, the two liners, uh, you know, that that was just, you know, you should still do SIV on a lower level wing because if they went, you know, they, they, they were very hard to recover and, you guys have shown, I mean, and also wings have changed and, you know, the CCC class is, is definitely tamped down on, you know, say an, an R11, but, um, you know, you guys have shown that, uh, you know, you really should do it and you should do it frequently. And, you know, if done well, that you can do it safely. Yeah. Um, when we have a compilot coming, for example, with the CC wing, CCC wing, and if he tells us uh, it's my first SIV, it's happened, you know. It's, oh, it will be my first all ever. Really? So say, yeah, it's happened. Jeez. It's, uh, you, you know, my first all, I did it after 10 years of flying. Really? Crazy, yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was playing a cross, uh, competition wing for long. Because wow. it was not, uh, I would say, uh, yeah, it was not in the move at this time uh, when I was flying. I was flying like uh, prototype, everything. I, I never did stall before. And then uh, when I enter the French team, they say, okay, now you want to go for competition? You have to pass to pass by the SIV course. So then we go to SIV. My first SIV was, was with, uh, I don't remember, so, uh, with a prototype from uh, Advance or, no, with uh, APCO. No, I was with this kind of prototype there, and they say, okay, now you go for SIV, go for stall with a full speed collapse. And then if I think uh, to this uh, with more years of expand, I say, but we were crazy to go like further SIV like this. I know our students, if they come with uh, no experience in SIV, even they are flying competition wing, we told them, okay, you are better to come with uh, a lower level wing because it will be more easy to get the to learn the skills, to learn the tools, to see your reaction, and then when you manage uh, the situation well, you have the, you you handle well your the the tools to recover the different tools. Then okay, you move to your CCC wing, and then you just adapt adapt your skills to this wing. Otherwise, it's too much uh, thing moving and. Uh, it's too much stress for the pilot. So this is for me. This is just normal. So it's why we tr we go step by step. You know, we just we just. I did not to make um, say uh, a circus, uh, a Disney Disneyland tour. You know, mm. we we say to the uh, to the students, we don't you don't pay on the come to to have uh, I would say fun. You come to learn, and when you go back home, you have to, to some tools in your baggage. Some tool you, you can make only over the water, some and some tool you master, which you can try at home and improve. Because some tool you even if you try in the air, if you don't master, you, you will just go in worse situation. So it's better you learn some tool which you know, you learn some situation, you have some experience, and then you know 
when you will be able to handle or not, and when we, you will need to use your rescue or not. Yeah, it seems like to me, that's almost the most important thing that SIV teaches you is, I mean, it's all important, but the the big one is what situation am I in right now and how long is this going to take to fix? Because mm-hmm. then, <laughs> then you know if you should throw. And it's, I think a lot of people, well, we know this, a lot of people hit the ground because they try to fix it too long. Exactly. Or they, or they don't have the right tools for the situation or they don't know the tools. And sometimes uh, if you have the tools and you know it, you know, it's like in the air, you know, in which situation of the, the task you are, you know what you have to do in this moment. And you will not think to go full speed if you need to climb. And it's same when you have uh, something uh, going on with your wing and SIV, you will use the right tool at the right moment and it's, it smooths the situation. And uh, then it's more easy to to recover. For sure, some situation maybe you cannot recover because it's too complicated for your for your wing or your level. So the rescue is maybe the only issue. But at least you think to use the rescue because we have some pilot going in the water sometimes. They even don't think to use the rescue. The rescue if the coach don't tell them rescue, rescue. You know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How often should people do SIV? We, I would say if you are able to do one barrier, it's just uh, amazing. Uh, if you can do, uh, I would say, one every two years, especially when you change your wing. And uh, often the pilot will say, ah, I come to SIV with my old wing because I will change the next, next week and I don't want to make SIV with the new wing. I say, so, why, why you come? You are better you come with your new wing, you know? Mm-hmm. You are both wing, so you can uh, show what you do. And you can do it again with the new wing because the new wing will uh, have different uh, uh, behavior. So it's better to know how it will be it will react. And then you are prepared for the whole season or for the next two years. Mm. Understand they don't want to damage the wing. But usually you don't, you don't damage your wing, apart if you have like a comp wing with very thin line. It's, uh, it's quite okay. Mm. One of the things that, I've been practicing quite a bit since watching your videos is the whole kind of double knock, you know, so you, you, you know, you get it almost to stall, let it go again. And then you stall very, you know, this is very much an acro full stall. It's not, you know, just stall it and keep your hands down. It's real quick and you let it fly again. And, you know, from your videos, you you only lose very minimal height, you know, 15 meters kind of thing. But And it works fantastic. It's just, it's just terrific the way Seiko works through that in her videos. And I encourage all you who are listening that if you haven't seen these, go check them out there. I'll have all the links in the show notes for this, but Charles, I've always struggled with the, even the thought of doing that in a true combat situation. Yeah. I just, I believe I would have a hard time doing the double in a combat situation. I think I would just acro stall it. What have you guys yeah, learned in that? Is it only, you know, what I'm saying is it's just, you know, to be mindful enough to do it like that uh, in in a situation where things are pretty radical, pretty fast. It, isn't it still okay to just stall it and let it go? Uh, and I will say what is most important is know when you will need to stall your wing. Exactly. Mm. Because most of the time we have some cravat, like not quite big cravat, but even with a half spin, you know, mm-hmm. you can uh, recover the cravat. And I would say on my 
25 years experience of pilot. I, um, I never did a stall because I need it. You know, I just did a stall uh, during SIV. Yeah. Otherwise, only with uh, half spin, I can recover the cravat. But you really need to have quite a, a huge part of your wing going through the, the canopy on the, the line to be able to, to really need to make a, a huge stall. And if you have like such big cravats, uh, which you need to make a stall, anyway, I, I would say not as soon as you will touch the handle, but almost you will uh, pull a little bit and uh, your wing will stall because your, your wing will have a, such a small area open. No, you will maybe pull a 5 cm and uh, this part will stall. So I don't think you will be able to really make a, a double. Um, uh, you, yeah, so you, you're saying you won't even get to there. I, I see what you're saying. So you really, it, yeah. it, you know, when when you're thinking when you're when you're having to go into stall or to uh, backfly or tail slide to get a cravat out, you're never going to get to that point. As soon as you start pulling brake on the on the cravatted side, it's going to spin. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so most in most cases, even with the the really high aspect wings, it, you can just spin it out to that side. And in, in in my experience, and like in your videos, it's it's pretty quick. It's you know, it's ninety degrees, one hundred and twenty degrees, and it's out. Exactly. And uh, I was used to to make it with the um, with the handle with the brake. Uh, sometimes even I was using the beach, you know, because mm. we have some situations. The guy we break the the line of the brake. So what you are, what you need to, I was, I'm speaking only about two liner now. And uh, for sure, with the two liner, it's very easy. You pull the B, you can make half spin. Then with um, other wing, like when you have three, four line, for sure, it's, uh, it's different, for sure. Mm, mm. I, I've heard some of the acro pilots that I've interviewed on the show, they have this, it seems to be this magic number that you've got to do 300 full stalls. Well, you got to do 300 stalls. I shouldn't use the term full stall, but you've got to do 300 stalls before you really start getting it. You know, you've got to do a lot. Is that is that kind of what you and Seiko are pushing as well? Yeah, you need to do a lot to be a master. I think Seiko, she did like, I don't know how many thousand she did, but quite a lot because <laughs> she was used to go to Organia and train, train there. Mm. And uh, I did less. I did uh, quite a lot with the competition wing because I, and the last 10 years, I was flying only with the comp wing, uh, a part of the side of coaching where I'm using uh, some uh, more easy wings. And uh, yeah, I stole mainly only competition wing. Only the, maybe the last two years, uh, more with the little acro wing, like not acro wing, like freestyle, because I was really uh, happy to learn a helicopter. So before to learn helicopter, Seiko, she said, okay, you go to stall, stall, stall. Mm -hmm. So I was making hours of stall just to, to get more skills and more feeling before to go for full helicopter. And I would say helicopter is very really nice because you really become a sensitive pilot. And then I can use this sensitive uh, feeling also to fly my combustion wing. So this is nice. Mm. Do you feel like the acro training you've been doing in these years with Seiko, has it really helped your cross-country flying as well? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because I would say it's helped me to, um, to under understand better what's going on with my uh, competition wing. And uh, if I feel understand better what's going on, understand better the feeling, sure, I feel more comfortable. I feel more precise in my handling. So everything will be better for me. 
And uh, also I get more confidence with my competition wing. Even uh, I'm used to, uh, I mean, I'm training with acro wing because I, I got in some situation which I can try again with the, with the competition wing. Not uh, infinity, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like uh, helicopter situation, you can go with the competition wing. is still okay. You don't damage uh, the wing. So. Yeah, I've always thought that's really sexy. I'm not at that level with helicopters by any means. I haven't even tried it yet, but that would I have seen people do it, and it's yeah, that's that's a nice move. Um, Charles, I, I want to switch lanes here to to comp flying and strategy and tactics and all that. But before I do, have we? Is there anything else you wanted to say about your school or about SIV and that side of training? I would say with the with the school we are quite happy because we start like uh, since three years with Seiko, and uh, we have especially a lot of pilots from US coming for to meet us for SIV on cross country, which is very nice. Mm. And uh, yeah, pilots from uh, Japan all over the world. So it's a good time of the year when we are doing coaching, and it's always a good time. Like it's more like you uh, say family atmosphere she really Seiko you want to bring the atmosphere from the school of Japan in Europe so it's what we are we're trying to do it's really fun mm. yeah it so- sounds fun and I the, you, the videos you guys are putting out are, are really terrific so hats off to you for that and I hope you keep doing it okay let's switch to racing uh, Maxime pointed out that you know to him the 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 mark of a really good pilot like yourself and Julian and you know the guys that are uh, and girls uh, that are really consistent like that's that's the you know kind of consistently in that top ten that's the mark of a really good pilot if what we know about you know technique and tactics. Are you know most of the pilots say it's certainly at a super final level, you know. Again, these you know most of the guy you know the the, the difference between climbing is you know low percentile one two three percent maybe. Uh, the difference between gliding maybe the same. Uh, so you know we talked about the mental thing, but what's the what are the kind of breakaway differences between the you know those folks that you just consistently see on the podium and the top ten and the rest and is this something that you know you're obviously focusing on in the french team um i've seen for the guy who are regularly on the on the top on the podium i would say they're able to to fly with the group really consistent and uh, they are in the in control of the group but on the other hand if when they are alone they are super efficient to fly alone and uh, so if they are a bit behind, they can uh, catch the group. But if the, the group really splits, they can fly very efficient, like Julia or, um, or some Slovenian pilot. They can really fly fast alone, even if they are not in the group. And um, yeah, I think this is really what makes the, the top pilot. Because you need to be to master the group to fly and uh, keep it and use it as the maximum of the task. But then, like uh, when the group split, when you have the advantage in the last part of the task, then they are able to go. And uh, we always have a quite big margin compared to some pilots who always attack during the task, attack, attack. But then sometimes they are stuck on the end. 
So this is a hard part. Even the you see the conditions are good, but okay, you keep in your process, you you stay with the group, and uh, when you have opportunity, then you just try to to escape, and maybe the guy will follow you. I saw some guy like uh, Yuri Vidic. This guy is amazing, you know. He's flying maybe I don't know less than fifty hours per per year. He's not competing. Uh, he's competing only in the main competition, and he's always at the top and uh, relax. He's uh, always in good position in the group, and uh, it don't take much risk. And uh, like okay, he always arrive like in the leading group uh, of the task. And day by day, his result is uh, building his uh, final ranking like this. And uh, on the other hand, you have some guy who want to say to to win some task. And someday they make good. Someday they make uh, less good result. But what you, what is important is your average on uh, on the end. Mm. Even now, with the uh, scoring changing a bit, you need to be consistent on the top. You for sure you can have some discard. But if you play with your discard too much, you know one day you will miss some uh, some good discard for your top results. Can you talk about one of the things I heard recently was that the French team is trying to, or maybe they already have completed. It's almost like a, I think of it like chess, you know, really good chess masters. It, it, the first move by the the first guy it, there's almost like an auto response for the second move on the other. They don't have to think about it. It's just what you do to that. You know, that move requires that move. And then the next move requires that move. And it, it's, uh, you know, for, in the beginning, I mean, the chess is all about the beginning, but it is, it, it becomes very easy for, you know, chess masters. Uh, so we, we call that like codifying, you know, and I understand the French team is, is really codified what you should do where based on where you are in other words to 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 eliminate more mistakes because usually when you get behind if you start really trying to push to catch up you you could uh add more mistakes and just and it gets worse and worse and so you you know you they always say you know you concentrate on just flying well and eventually the lead gaggle will get caught somewhere and and you can catch up but is there can you share any of those kind of rules that the French team has developed? In other words, you know, if you're if you're midway in the gaggle and the the lead guys get to the top and they start going, do you go then or do you go to the top? You know, are there are there things like that that are just in other words, they're trying to give you guys rules so you don't have to think as much. I would say for sure, you need to stick uh, to the gaggle if you want to, to arri- try to arrive with them at the end. But then you have also to to be objective about uh, what uh, information you have. For example, if uh, you are cl- you are a nice value where you are climbing and you see this guy going, for myself, I would just stay in my thermal and climb as long as my value is good for the day and then I will move. Because if you move too fast, then you arrive uh, for sure. You cannot arrive by higher than the guy who are starting higher than you. You know, when you fly with speed, apart if you get a good line, but it's not, uh, I say, realistic. So 
maybe I don't I don't see really some rules where you have to go when the guy are leaving. Well, not not necessarily that, but just just kind of general rules that uh, maybe that was a bad example, but you know, just kind of depending on where you are in a gaggle or on a course. You know, if it's early, if it's the middle, if it's the late, you know, late in the in the, in the race. Are there things that the the French team is kind of drilling in, you know, in terms of discipline? I think the the, the new young pilot there are more rules than the old one. Uh-huh. <laughs> the old one are more freestyle, <laughs> 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 and we are more based on the old tools, like uh, I say, old generation, like uh, MacReady, like uh, improving our glide, uh, watching instruments. Uh, be aware about uh, air mass information more maybe creative and uh, for sure the, the new generation what I see on the on the new French competition uh, pilot generation they are not so able to fly uh, cross country uh, so efficient as uh, as us but in competition they are amazing because they really stick as you say with the group they have some rules, like they have. They always need to have some pilot be below them, you know. So you use information. If you have the guy used by the over, you will lose one moment. But if you have the the guy with the, uh, making the game, you have like ten pilot below you. You you just use them. Then at your level, you just uh, uh, find the good pilot to follow. Um, then step by step will be more helpful for you to catch the top pilot but if you go like crazy in front for sure you have less chance to find the thermal or you will take more time and then uh, when you find the thermal the guy will just catch you and uh, you just take risks for nothing so i think the new one new generation were a little bit more disciplined than uh, the the old one hmm. so we we are learning from them anyway now that's... this is the game. You always have some young coming, and you they catch your experience or knowledge, but you have to catch them uh, their spirit, their experience and knowledge as well. Otherwise, they just overtook you. Give us some advice for pilots that are just getting into competitions. You know, what should you focus on? What are some of the things that you'd want to pass on to? Maybe that younger generation, or even the older generation that's just discovering comps. For I would say, don't try to make your results. Try to make a, a great performance. So I would say, if you focus on the results, it just give you um, say excitation or some stress or some stuff like this. If you are focused on the performance, you will be focused on the process. Like oh, you have to be ready on takeoff. How you have to manage your position and your timing to get, to be uh, at the right uh, position for the start, and like then okay, this uh, kind of stuff doing all the tasks, and uh, if you step by step, you will make a good good process to arrive to goal. Maybe okay, maybe you arrive I don't know twenty thirty minutes after the first, no problem. After you will reduce your margin, you will improve your ta- tactics. You will fly maybe a little bit faster on the part where you know you can fly faster. And uh, step by step, you will uh, just catch the top pilot. But don't uh, don't focus on the results. I would say results can be uh, a final goal, but then you have to build uh, some, uh, um, let me say, 
second level or third level goal to to improve your skills, improve your tactics, improve improve the way you you find the information in VR, how you use it to uh, to be more efficient. So you should have been down in Brazil right now competing in the super final, which was canceled, of course, because Corona. Can you, was there any kind of things you were working on before you went in terms of, are, are there things you do, either mental exercises or physical exercises or anything to help? What, what do you do to get prepared for something like the super final or a World Cup, you know, a high level race? So the, the last four months before going to Brazil, I was in office mm. every day. <laughs> so <laughs> I I'll say I didn't fly, maybe I f- I did two flights in four months because it was winter time here and uh, every day it was good weather I was working and when it was a rest day it was raining or snowing <laughs> so it was a <laughs> bad timing this year and uh, I spent most uh, more time uh, skipping in the gar- in the garage than flying <laughs> so I was really physically uh, full prepare uh, to fly the new wing. And um, so what we do before going to the comp? So we have the all um, experience on track from the previous competition there. So our coach is making a crazy job. Like he takes all the data from the last maybe five or six, six comp uh, in, uh, in Castello. And uh, we have some the track coming from CU. We have some uh, debriefing. With information, how was the condition, how was the race this day, so we can uh, introduce ourselves on the um, on the topography, on the aerology of what we can uh, what we can face. I have experience from two comp in Castello, and then at what I try with myself when I'm not flying for a long time, I just um, use map to set some. We say. Yes, some tasks, even maps uh, in the Alps, you know, and just to to stay in the process of what I have to do in the air to go from one point uh, to another and uh, like basic basic thing, climbing, transition, just to imagine I'm flying to get this feeling. Mm. And uh, on some part, I will just sit, close my eyes, imagine I'm, I'm turning, what, what kind of action I'm doing with my arm, what uh, I can correct, and uh, okay, I'm uh, now I did like uh, no no 50k. I want to go full speed, so I can imagine I'm going full speed. What I'm looking in there, I'm looking to the canopy, to my riser, to the instrument. How I, I I can organize all this timing to to catch every information I need, and uh, actually this is the only way I can fly when I'm uh, I need to go to work and it's not flyable on the rest day. So you're doing a lot of visualization. Yeah, I do a visualization like this because I can, how I can fly. <laughs> if it's not possible to fly, I need to to keep the process and keep uh, try to keep the feeling and uh, keep like uh, automatism uh, reflex I have in the air to, to catch information, to use information and to be efficient. So. Yeah, this is the way. If you can't fly, uh, let's say, for a long time, I think it's a it's a good process. And uh, I'm used to do it uh, several times during the winter. 
I don't say I will do it uh, every day, but maybe one per week, mm. I will focus uh, on doing uh, stuff like this. Or even when I'm skipping with the rope in my garage, I can uh, move my mind to the flight part, so I'm skipping. But uh, okay, I imagine I'm in the air, I'm flying, uh, I'm going from one point to one over. So what I'm doing in the air, I'm pushing, I'm turning. You no, know, I have to to go through this process. Process even in a, in a moment I'm going doing some sport. So for me, I, I would say it's a good uh, good point for me to to keep connecting with the paragliding. How important is fitness to something like the super final when you're racing for potentially 12 days you need to be fit to uh under your wing for i say four or five hours and the most important is to be able to recover so you are you get ready every day for each task so i i will not say you need a, a crazy training physically but you need to to sleep good, to, you need to eat well, you need to to prepare things, and uh, so you are 100% of your potential. This is uh, main important for me when I go to comp. If you train, uh, I know for myself I need to train because if I train uh, good, my mental will be ready. I know some pilots, they don't need to go to get ready physically, but it's their... Uh, the process to be ready for the comp but mine i like to know i did all my best to be ready so when i'm in comp i will not think oh maybe i need to train more physically to be ready for the comp no i did it so i don't need to think about it <laughs> hmm. what kind of mental where are you trying to get uh you know before you show up to a super final and then kind of each day do you have any kind of routine or anything you do to get in the right frame of mind and what what is that frame of mind are you trying to be uber relaxed are you just trying to be uber aware are there are there things that you're chasing in terms of where you're in terms of your headspace so generally i would say i'm I'm quite a relaxed guy. <laughs> I'm not so exciting. <laughs> so it's quite easy for me to be uh, relaxed. I don't need uh, many uh, tools, activity around me to, to feel good. Uh, I, I mainly need to, to wake up on takeoff. And uh, I, from my experience on the years, I don't need to make something... Uh, very special during the comp. What are the main thing I do? I know I like to have my uh, bag with my uh, instrument, everything ready. Uh, like when I, in the morning when I wake up, okay, everything is ready. I know when I have to go up, I take my bag, I go, it's ready. Mm. And uh, when I'm takeoff, you know, sometimes we had some, some tasks. We have to wait three, four hours on the takeoff. Nothing happened. Or they do one briefing, two briefing, three briefing, and they change the task. So if I you are too much aware, every time there is a briefing, oh, then they say cancelled, new briefing. You know, it's always the, you make up and down. So usually when I uh, put my helmet and I close uh, the glass in front, uh, I'm connected with the task. Mm. This is a this is a moment. I I can be on the briefing, prepare the task, aware about uh, what we will have to do. Okay, then I put my harness, 
on the I clip my helmet and I'm in. Mm. Yeah, Maxime calls that the kind of the funnel effect. You know, you, as it as you get closer and closer to launch, you get more and more focused and and tuned in to what you're about to do. You don't want mm. distractions and other things at that point. And even in VR, you need to find the right uh, uh, level of activity activity between two relax and two hour if you want to be able to catch all information. Uh, the main information you need uh, at each moment of the flight, because if you are, I say, too too much uh, not nervous but uh, too active, maybe you will uh, miss one information which is close from you. If you are too relaxed, maybe uh, things will happen during the task in terms of tactics, and you are not uh, aware about what's going on. So it's always this streaming which is not so so easy to to find. So maybe some someday on certain certain part of the task, if I I feel I will say maybe a bit sleepy, maybe uh, not in full activity, I will be more able to use the overpilot for this part of the task. And then uh, when I feel uh, more aware, or I, st- I try to be maybe more aware for the start or for the end of the task, because I know this last uh, maybe 20-25k, which are the important moment to to be focused on what's going on and to not lose uh, some time on the on the best pilot of the day. How important is it? You know, I I tend to get really probably very way too relaxed about weather at comps. I just don't even pay any attention. Uh, am I blowing it? <laughs> I, I you know you get your briefing in the morning and you fly with everybody else, and I just don't find it's that relevant. But how important is it, or how much are you? looking at the weather when you're at a comp? Actually, sometimes we look too much at the weather and then things uh, appear to be completely different during the task. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, but for sure, it's good to, we look to the weather to know what will be the stadium of the day. You know, it's like a football game. You, are, you have a stadium, which is the other area where you will have the task. You have to know how it will work. As we are 150 pilots in the air, you will see very fast how it works anyway. (laughs) But what is interesting is to know how it will uh, evolve, it will change, it will move during the day to also be ready to adapt your your timing or your altitude of flying. And uh, in this part, the the weather will uh, be helpful. For sure, for sure, it's completely different when you have to fly cross country or when you have uh, to fly like you uh, X Alps, where the weather is so much important. Mm. I would say, from a, a, a follower for the X Alps, <laughs> yeah, weather looks really, really important. Even sometimes, guy really uh, push a lot in the certain condition. But yeah, you have to, they have to use every window to to make few k uh, in flight. Uh, better than the working looks like (laughs) (laughs) charles you mentioned that one of the real pitfalls uh people can get into early on especially but obviously at any time in a career is to think too much about the results are there other pitfalls other things that you know in your 25 years things you look back and uh, i could have avoided that or i could have done that differently so i would say Fly uh, when you progress. Fly with a, a wing for your level, 
fly in the condition of your level, which is also important. And then when you build your skills, step by step, you know, you, uh, you can go with a different wing, maybe with more performance, but you need to have this couple with pilot on the wing always in a, connected to the, um, say, uh, to always able to face uh, the air mass you will, uh, you will have. You have too much pilot who want to, to fly with more performance with the wing, but finally they are less efficient in the air because they, they can't fly as, as good in uh, some uh, strong condition because uh, the wing is too demanding for them. And maybe if they were flying with the previous wing, with, uh, with, uh, which has less performance, was more easy. They can uh, they were able to fly quite big distance with it. So you have to really, um, I would say in French we say modest. I don't know mm. English. Yeah, yeah, humble. And yeah, and um, really accept you your the time you can uh, put in paragliding, the in terms of training or, or competition the the level you want to to go and the the time you will need to to reach this level if you can fly i don't know 30 years per year it will need maybe more time or during the 30 years you will fly you really need to be super uh, prepared organized but every hour you will fly you will uh, on, not only fly you will learn something you will progress and i think also this is one of the difference i had in my uh, career, when I was flying for 400 hours per year, I was flying like, okay, I was flying cross country, I was flying. And uh, the last uh, 10 years, uh, even if I, I make a one hour flight, I know, okay, I say this hour flight is for fun or it will be for training. If it's, if it's for training, I will um, uh, cut my flight in several parts. I know, okay, in competition, uh, push, uh, pushing full bar at the end is quite a uh, important moment. We do, maybe we do it only for five or ten minutes. So I need to to work for it. Even if I I fly only one hour at home, I need to to work during ten, twenty, or I don't know, fifteen minutes only for for full bar to get the feeling, to get the feedback, the feedback. So when I go to competition, I'm ready for it. Mm. So it's uh, I feel I'm not good in thermal. I uh, I have a lack of uh, feeling. Okay, uh, even if it's a super good uh, day to make maybe, I don't know, 200K, I will just stick to the local area and I will climb, I will go down, I will climb, I will go down just to, to improve my, uh, my skill, my, my feeling. It's just not only about uh, take off, make uh, 100K and come back. Yeah, so you, you're talking about turning kind of every flight into an opportunity to train and learn. Yeah, maybe for sure. If you have, I would say maybe not every flight, but if you have a goal, for sure it's better because you then you try to reach this goal and then you improve yourself. Then you have some material to make your debriefing, and it's always better for for the pilot to improve. On the other hand, I will I know I will make some flights. Sometimes I don't want to make a goal. I just want to fly for fun, and which is normal because if you are always like uh, uh, if you always go to fly with uh, a goal, then you will feel at work, you know. <laughs> so it's and, good uh, it's, it's, it's good to go, it's good nice sometimes to go to fly and you are like on the beach you take yourself and you go in the wave and you you just have fun mm. and uh but if your goal is to go if your goal is to make uh 
And so, I don't know, to make a result in competition, to make a, a distance in the cross country, for sure, you, you need to pass by some uh, flights, some by, by, through some training, which help you to improve your skills and your, um, your level faster. Mm. Like in every sport, yeah, of course. You cannot, you cannot on, only play. It's not. Uh, yeah, you need to walk to train. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Last question, Charles. Do you, when you talk about goals and and goal setting, could you share some of yours? Because it sounds like it's more appropriate to set a goal like, uh, I want to be a better climber. I want to you know, learn how to pick better lines. I want to, in other words, I want to make goals align with becoming a better pilot, not necessarily a goal of, uh, I want to be top three at the world. So I can explain something like the, um, the last year, maybe you, you see the most of the super final, they were, they, they were in a flat terrain, not, uh, not much in, uh, in the mountain. Mm-hmm. And like 10 years ago, I, I was uh, living uh, very close from Saint-Hilaire. And I say, uh, okay, now we will move like uh, on the other side of the mountain because it's uh, maybe only flat terrain in the, the Alps part where I'm flying, where I can train. So we move all the family with the house in this part. And I say, okay, now you have to take off. It's uh, 150 meters uh, high reach. So it's quite not, uh, it's not very high. You have the flat in front. And the, the main reach is uh, 10K behind. And I say, okay, now I will train there. Because uh, I know I can fly easily in the, on the mountain, in the reach. But what I need to, for, the, for the competition, it's to improve my skill in the flat. So I need to I move, I move my, myself to the flat to be able to train as much as I can and uh, to get the skills for it. Because when you come from the mountain with a reach to follow, when you arrive in the flat, and uh, somebody tell you, hey, you missed the line. And then you say, which line? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you have, you have to fly in the flat to understand how the thing are working in the flat, uh, to be aware about uh, different elements you need to be efficient. And uh, I, I know I train a lot in, my, uh, in this area with side wind, with front wind. And then, okay, you understand what's going on with the thermal, how you can use the... Uh, the line, which finally you realize the, there is some line or there is some thermal activity going always on the same way, which people call line, but finally it's only thermal which you eat every time. Then you learn uh, how to exit from a thermal with, with some wind. You learn how to enter a thermal. You, you know how to thermal better in, with, uh, with wind, how to drift with a uh, 30, 40 kilometer wind in the, in the flat. And uh, this is the kind of thing you are, you have to go to train and to improve. If you only fly on the reach, you, you will never face it. And then you will ri- arrive in this kind of situation. You can only say, I don't have the skills. Yes, yeah, sorry, but mm. you have to go and train. <laughs> I like that approach. Uh, you got you to gotta train. You got to train if you want to play the game. Charles, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's fantastic to hear your voice. It's been been too long. I'm sorry uh, you're not down at the super final, and but uh, I think this seems to be some silver linings with all of this. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying time with your family, and I'm sure you are. And when we, by the time this show comes out, the world will have radically changed. So I I can't even predict, but 
uh, just be safe and, and, uh, and best to you, man. Yeah, things will be changed a lot for sure. So I just want to, to wish uh, all the best to the paragliding committee, their family, friends, and uh, let's see how things will go. And uh, I wish uh, Gavin we can have uh, a nice beer on barbecue in Chelan. Yes, I oh, I do too. I I hope that happens. Well, we we shall see. I don't I, I don't think the U.S. has taken this seriously enough early enough. But uh, and, and so it, we'll, we'll see. I think we're going to be following. And they say we're about eleven days behind what's happening in Spain and France and Italy right now. So we shall see. But yeah, fingers crossed. It would be wonderful to have a beer with you in Chelan and do some flying together. Yep. Thank you very much. I, I need to get Seiko on the show as well. It'd be, be awesome to talk yes. to her. Yes. Well, cool. Well, I know it's getting a little bit later. You're, you're part of the world, uh, so I'll let you go. But thanks very much. Bye-bye, Gavin. Cheers. <laughs> Bye-bye. Cheers. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.